As consumer awareness about fraud increases, more are searching for ways to enhance and protect their identities by playing a more active role in fraud prevention and security, a series of new research papers from IT Group finds. Still, too many banking institutions, not just in the U.S., but the world over, remain reluctant to engage their customers and get them involved in the security effort. Here, Shirley Insko, a lead financial fraud analyst at ITE, explains why. Shirley, in June, ITE released a study showing how consumers throughout the world are actually losing the fraud battle. Why are they losing? Tracy, there are really a number of reasons. Uh, first of all, the rate of fraud has remained relatively high in many countries year over year. And so consumers are being impacted. Many have no idea how to protect themselves. Uh, many also indicate that they haven't received any educational information from their financial institutions. And so I think that uh, you know, some of them are engaging in some risky behaviors that they don't even realize are risky. And there are a lot of different factors. But I think that consumers are just, you know, they're getting a little frustrated. And, and they really are scared about fraud. They continue to hear about it in the media. And they know it's an issue. They may know someone whose identity has been stolen. Or, like I said, they may have themselves been a victim of fraud. And they're just very, very concerned. Shirley, we've heard so much recently about retail point-of-sale breaches, and I am probably operating from somewhat of an assumption here, but were most of the concerns surrounding card fraud? A lot of it is surrounding card fraud, but certainly not all of it. In most cases, consumers are most concerned about identity theft. Many expressed concern, and so they were very concerned about online banking fraud. But you're right, Tracy, they also expressed that they were very concerned about credit card fraud as well as debit card fraud. You know, they have a lot of fears, a lot of concerns, and they're not hearing a lot from their financial institutions. Shirley, you touched on some of what makes, I guess, fraud concerning to consumers, and some of that, of course, relates to risky behavior that they may or may not even be aware of. But what are some of their overall attitudes toward fraud? I mean, are they concerned about retail breaches, and is that maybe where some of the identity theft concerns come into play? Uh, they definitely are concerned about data breaches. We hear that loud and clear. In this particular study, we saw that 49% of global consumers exhibit at least one risky behavior, though. And these risky behaviors, such as carrying their pen with their card, such as using a public computer to go online or shop online. Risky behaviors such as that put them at much higher risk, and oftentimes they don't realize it. And so then, Shirley, when it comes to some of these attitudes toward fraud and perhaps even some of the risky behaviors, was the perspective there international or was this more domestic? That's a great question, uh, Tracy, and I'm really happy to say that the U.S. consumers are exhibiting these risky behaviors far less often than global consumers. While 49% of global consumers exhibit at least one of these behaviors, if you break it down in the U.S., 13% of U.S. consumers said that they throw documents with account numbers in the trash. They're not shredding those yet. And 11% said they leave their smartphone unlocked when it's not in use. All of the other risky behaviors had less than 10% of consumers who said that they engage in those. So the U.S., far more than most of the countries, and we did look at 20 countries in this survey, U.S. consumers are doing a much better job. Shirley, I don't know if any of this came out in your survey, but to what do you attribute the fact that U.S. consumers are doing a better job? This was not part of the survey. We still saw a very high percentage of consumers in the U.S. who said that their financial institution 
has not provided any educational material. But I do believe that other organizations like AARP and others are trying to educate their members in terms of how to best protect themselves. And I think that you know the media too is uh, doing some of that work so that consumers are learning more about what is risky and they're abandoning that. I do remember back when I was in banking, we had a huge educational effort around educating consumers to never write their pen on their card or carry it with their card. And as a result, less than 5% of consumers in the U.S. today still do that. That is a very small percentage. So I think that we need those same kinds of efforts now, educating consumers about their smartphones, particularly those who use their phones for online banking and to shop online. You know, Shirley, it's a great point that you bring up here about the role the banking institutions play when it comes to educating their customers. Yet we've talked about this in the past, and I think it's probably something we'll continue to talk about for some time to come, that, you know, banking institutions are a little bit reluctant to put too much onus on their customers when it comes to fraud prevention. Would you say that institutions' approaches to fraud fighting are too generalized? Do they need to be a little bit more customized, and do they need to involve the consumer more? I think that in the past, institutions' approaches to fighting fraud was very general. In other words, you know, when you look at credit card transactions, you ran every transaction through the same exact fraud prevention mechanism. And I know that some institutions at least now are really, you know, categorizing transactions and, and treating them differently. And they're also starting to use things like uh, behavioral analytics. They're using things like biometrics and really starting to do a much better job of customizing their fraud prevention efforts. I agree with you, though, that I'm not aware of very many financial institutions who are involving their customers at all, and frankly, I don't understand it. I've thought a lot about it. I think one reason might be their concern about how long it might take the consumer to respond, and that's certainly legitimate because inviting fraud, time equals money. I mean, you need to shut fraud down very, very quickly. And in a real-time environment, the consumer cannot, you know, react to a fraud alert even a text message, for example, perhaps as quickly as needed. But I think that they're really missing the boat because while they might not get a response in time to save the first transaction, they certainly could get a response in time to save subsequent ones. And consumers are indicating they are very interested in doing this. They want to be contacted via text messages, calls to their cell phones or emails. And so I think that Part of the problem might be that it's hard to keep all that information up to date, and that's certainly legitimate. But I think that if their customers are engaged and involved, they will rem better remember to let the financial institution know if their cell phone number changes, for example. And in today's environment, you can change carriers or anything. You might have to change that phone. So it's not the hindrance it was a decade ago. Shirley, I'm going to come back to some of the card fraud trends, and one of the figures that I found interesting from this report is the fact that um, so many cardholders, once they receive a new card after a fraud event, are just not using their cards as often. Cards are used 43% less often than they were before the cards were reissued. In our own Faces of Fraud survey that we have just pulled preliminary results for and we plan to publish those soon, Banking institutions note that card fraud continually ranks among some of the top concerns or fraud vectors that they face. From this perspective, banking institutions 
are worried about card fraud, therefore they're reissuing cards more readily. Perhaps some of that reissuance may be leaving a bad taste in the mouths of consumers. You know, Tracy, it, it is a very interesting uh, scenario because, as you said, the financial institution is reissuing a card either because there's been a data breach and they're trying to protect their customer or there has been fraud and so they're, they're having to reissue a card. And yet, here again, I think the communication and the education of the consumer is not what it needs to be because the consumer, when they receive these cards, are apparently, and I'm using that word because I, I didn't get to talk to these consumers personally, but apparently they don't have the confidence in that replacement card that they had in the original card because, as you said, 43% of global consumers use the new card less than the original. Now, here in the United States, to bring it a little bit closer to home, it was only 29%, but still, that's 3 in 10 consumers who use a replacement card less than the original, and that's absolutely not what the financial institution wants to see happen. It costs them money to replace those cards. They want the consumer to continue to use it so they reap the revenues. So I think some assurance, perhaps in the literature that goes out with that replacement card, assuring the customer that their account number is being changed to protect them and that it's safe to use that card is in order. Unfortunately, if the consumer had a lot of monthly bills that were charged to that card, it does create a real problem for them. And so we see some attrition there as well that I talk about in the report. Shirley, the research that you've been working on, of course, is this consumer-based research that's taking a look at some of the international fraud trends and the impact that these trends are having on consumers. In July, later this month, you plan to release a second report in this series that takes a deeper dive into some of the more specific payment fraud trends highlighting unique consumer risks that are posed by prepaid cards, e-commerce, and even mobile payments. Let's talk a little bit about some of the prepaid card trends that you're seeing. I don't know if it's surprising or not that some of the prepaid card risks are really getting a lot of attention these days. And I'm curious to know, based on some of the results that you collected from consumers, does it seem that there is a shift in some of the fraud trends there from debit credit to prepaid? Well, debit card fraud rates do not decline, so I can't say there's a shift. I think it's just part of the overall picture that we see some fraud rates continue to grow. And what we saw in this study was that on a global basis, in almost every country, there was a correlation between the percentage of consumers who use prepaid cards and the rate at which consumers experience fraud. So, for example, here in the United States, uh, only 63%, I think, I, I think that figure's right, of consumers use prepaid cards, and the fraud rate is relatively low. If you compare that to other countries, for example, in the Americas, in Mexico and Brazil, where far higher percentages of consumers use cards, you see much higher rates of fraud. So out of this, I concluded that as the percentage of consumers who use these cards continues to grow, we will see fraud grow. Now, I have to say, frankly, that prepaid card fraud, I believe, is understated in this study because a lot of prepaid card fraud occurs and consumers are unaware of it or they may classify it in their minds as a different kind of fraud. I'll give a quick example. In many cases, we see merchants, for example, sell prepaid cards and take a credit or debit card as payment for that prepaid card. 
Well, the fraud that ends up being reported is on the debit or credit card that we use to buy the prepaid card, and it's not associated in any way with the prepaid card fraud in the consumer's mind. You know, we see these organized fraud rings hitting merchants and literally stealing millions of dollars doing this. And of course, prepaid cards can also be used for money laundering and other activities. And so I do believe that prepaid card fraud is understated in these numbers. Shirley, what about card not present or e-commerce fraud trends? Were there any trends that came up in this study? And would you say that consumers even really understand what e-commerce fraud is? They probably don't. You know, and if you said to a, to a consumer if they had had CNP fraud, they would look at you and think you were green or something. Oh, they really don't understand these terms that we in the banking world use. So what I will tell you, Tracy, is that in talking with issuers recently, this is not from this study, but I talked to issuers all the time, and I talk to e-commerce merchants, and both are telling me that they are seeing a huge spike in card not present fraud. And so some feel that there's just a huge uptick in these fraud rings using all this data they have stored prior to EMB rollout. Whatever that is, I'm hearing that there is a huge spike here in the U.S. So Shirley, if consumers don't really have a good handle on the difference between card present and card not present fraud, do you think that there's been any loss of confidence among consumers in e-commerce transactions from a security standpoint? Well, one of the things that was new in this study was some questions that consumers were asked about shopping in stores and online. And I was very surprised to see a couple of things. First of all, I was really surprised globally at the high percentage of consumers who do not trust that merchants use adequate security systems in their stores to protect their data. At the same time, there were some concerns about shopping online, but actually there was less confidence that in-store merchants used adequate security than online. Now, some countries have enacted legislation that requires multi-factor authentication for e-commerce merchants, and so that probably impacts the consumer confidence levels. But that, to me, was a little bit surprising, that consumers actually have more confidence that their data is adequately protected online than in physical stores. And I'll tell you that 77% of U.S. consumers felt confident that the online merchants they use protect their data and their payment information well. And that was by far the highest percentage of the Americas. That's interesting because, you know, I don't know, based on your research, if you feel that that confidence is misplaced. That is a great question because, like I said, I'm hearing from both e-commerce merchants and issuers that they're seeing a significant uptick. So remember, though, that these percentages are based on the consumer's perception and what they think. And again, they don't really understand fraud as we do. So if they see an unauthorized charge on their card, they don't know if it was done in person in a store, online. They don't really care. They just call their financial institution. And in this country, in the United States, they have the protection of Reg E, which also, I think, uh, led somewhat to that 77% of U.S. customers who are feeling good about online shopping because they know they're going to be made whole. In many countries, that is not the case, and so we see far different statistics in, in many other countries. Again, we've just heard from Shirley Insko of ITE. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tracy Kitten.